Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. And if you're a first timer, as always, we welcome you to the party. We're brought to you by my bookie. I'll tell you a little bit about how you can save just a little bit of cash by using my bookie in just a few minutes, maybe more than a little bit of cash. So you want to stay tuned for that. Robert, alongside my co-host, Stephen Kerr, who I'm hoping can make it through the first few minutes of the podcast without being pulled by AJ Hinch because we don't want you to go full Miley on us, Stephen. So you got to stay <laughs> stick around. No, we don't want that, Robert. Uh, boy, whatever happened to him the last few starts, he has definitely struggled back-to-back really rough outings against Seattle and Oakland. I've certainly raised some concerns on my part as, you know, he had stellar performances throughout much of the season. And all of a sudden, he has just run it about the last six starts or so. He hasn't looked like the Wade Miley that we're used to seeing. You know, he relies on enticing hitters to pull his inside pitches, but opponents seem to be uh, definitely adjusting and going to the opposite field. And it's not like he's getting hammered with a lot of home runs, but he is giving up a lot of hits, which means he's getting a lot of contact and not enough swings and misses. So, yeah, that's that's this is uh, hopefully he can straighten this out well before the postseason starts. All right. I, I, I'm just going to be glass half full. I'm going to try to look at this in, in a positive way. Steven, I'm going to I'm going to flip the script on everybody and say, hey, with with all of this stuff in September and Wade Miley throwing very few pitches, he should be very fresh by the end of September. I mean, he should be ready to go for October. <laughs> well, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Because in his last six starts, I believe he's had 18 innings. So that is an average of what? Three innings a start. So, yeah, maybe he's getting a little rest through all these struggles. But, you know, certainly hope he figures it out so that he can go longer once the postseason does get here. But, you know, Robert, I mean, it's such a long season. Just about every team is struggling in some way or form with their pitching, whether it's injuries, ineffectiveness, or both. And listen, the Astros, I mean, it didn't help them on Tuesday night, but uh, most of the time, if they're going to score seven runs, they're going to win the game. But I almost thought the the Texans were playing again on Tuesday night when we had a 21-7 to score, and then all these... Uh, high double-digit scores that we've had lately. So at at least the offense is keeping things interesting, and that should be the case once we get to the postseason, hopefully so anyway. Yeah, Miley's got 156 innings this year. Uh, He had 80 last year, so maybe his arm is a little bit weary because, you know, he he hasn't had the the pitch count. Uh, The year before that, 157 innings pitched. Uh, the year before that, 54 innings pitched. So over the last few years, you even go back to 2000. Uh, well, I should say it, not 54 innings pitched, uh, 112 innings pitched, or sorry, 166 innings pitched in 2016. So we're we're about at, at close to where you know he's been at his max over the last few years. So I don't know, maybe maybe his arms a little bit tired, and and there is some numbers to support that. As he goes on, as it gets later in the season, as it gets towards August and September, his arm does tire, Stephen. Yeah, it's happened to him in previous years. And as I mentioned, it's not like they're teeing off and hitting a bunch of home runs, but they're getting a lot of hits, which, of course, means they're scoring a lot of runs. I believe he's had 19 earned runs over his last six starts in those 18 innings. So I'm kind of with you, Robert, though. I'm I'm trying to take the glass-half-full approach is that by October— Maybe he'll be ready to go. 
You know, uh, I, and we remember that just like not too long ago, we were thinking, well, maybe Miley should be the third starter over Zach Granke. And we could just throw that thing completely out the window with this. But I was just trying to figure out the 11 man postseason staff. And, it, and it's, it's coming really into focus right now, Stephen, because if you look at it, I think this is the staff. It's, it's Verlander, Cole, Granke, and Miley, the starters. Bullpen, Osuna, of course. Will Harris, who's been just incredibly consistent all year long. Josh James, now that he's back and has looked pretty decent. Ryan Presley, uh, we'll assume that you know he's healthy. Same with Brad Peacock. And then Joe Smith and, and Rondon. You, you don't want to get to Chris Davinsky, who... Ugh, he's given up at least one earned run in nine of his last 13 appearances. His ERA now at 5.29. Yeah, it's interesting. As you know, a few weeks ago, we did our picks of who we thought would be in the postseason roster. And that's definitely some things have changed since my picks. Because, you know, I had, uh, of course, besides the obvious, still, of course, we had Presley in there. He, he's still kind of up in the air. We hope that he can come back before the postseason. He should be able to. He's looking pretty good as far as getting himself ready. But uh, I had Harris, Peacock, not going probably not going to count on him. Sanchez, he's definitely out. I had Davinsky, Smith, and Rondone. And I left off James, Biagini, and McHugh. So, you know, I think James has come back pretty strong. Biagini's looked pretty good, all except for Tuesday night, but then none of the Astros pitchers look good that night. So, yeah, it's it's amazing what a few weeks can do to a pitching staff, either with injuries, ineffectiveness, or both. What a terrible year for McHugh. Just, you know, he's just never been able to get on track. Now he's been, you know, dealing with the injury. It's just a a rough year. I just don't see him getting it back and proving enough to A.J. Hinch and Jeff Luno that he's ready for the postseason. Yeah, I have to agree with you. He's, He's had several years where he's had one or more injuries. And, you know, he's had like that one good season several years ago. Uh, well, we thought he might be an elite pitcher, but again, it's just been kind of up and down, inconsistent, and battling injuries. I assume you uh, caught the Jordan uh, bomb where he put one in the upper deck uh, down the right field line. <laughs> just ridiculous. <laughs> I tell you what, you know what? If Sylvester Turner might want to look over his shoulder because if Jordan Alvarez ran for mayor right now, he'd probably win. I mean, this guy is just just when you think that he's done everything. He does something more. I mean, that that second homer that he hit in the third deck in right field, there's only been one other player who's hit a ball in that area, Minute Maid Park, and it wasn't even an Astro. It was Jeremy Burnitz of the Milwaukee Brewers who did it back in 2000, the year the ballpark opened. I mean, it's crazy. And in, what, almost 20 years, only two balls have been hit that far in Minute Maid Park. Of course, the Dome had some pretty big shots, but... My goodness, that was just incredible. That that first home run he hit was pretty incredible, but he topped it with the second one. You know, I was trying to think. I think Eric Anthony, wasn't he one of those upper deck Astrodome home runs? Yeah, he hit one. And then uh, to, the toy cannon. But I, I want to say that I, I might have been listening to the game or watching the game that Eric Anthony had that home run. And Eric Anthony was a guy that I was rooting hard for because he went to Sharpstown High School, I believe. Right. And, uh, you know, I went to Sharpstown middle school or yeah, middle school for a year. They've changed the name. So I'm trying to remember what it's called now. It's, I think it's Sharpstown international, but you know, I, I did go, I wasn't zoned for, for Sharpstown high school, but 
you know, I live in, I lived in Sharpstown growing up. So, you know, Anthony was, was a guy, but you know, they, they, they put the seat up there for Jordan's home run and it's an orange. And I'm thinking, well, Jordan's got at least six more years, maybe seven more years in Houston before uh, he hits the free agent market. So I'm thinking by that point, there should be about, I don't know, 20 seats up there with, with orange <laughs> donated. Or, well, uh, to if he keeps him. going, yeah, if he keeps going this way, he might have every seat in that section going by then. I tell you, it's just, it's so amazing. And, you know, it wasn't so long ago, Robert, that we were talking totally opposite about the Astros. It was only a few years ago that they had three straight 100 loss seasons and now they're on their way to having three straight 100 win seasons. And this year, Jordan Alvarez is a major part of that. Yeah, you look at the rest of the lineup. You know, you, now we got Yuli dealing with his injury. That's a concern, I guess. Correa, you're waiting for him to get back. Yuli's supposed to be back by Friday. Uh, Correa, you would hope, would be back pretty soon. But in the meantime, Jordan gets hot again. Bragman has just been incredible. Incredible recently. George Springer's hitting home runs by the dozen. You've got Altuve that just does his old same old Altuve stuff. And Michael Brantley, Uncle Mike, is doing everything, uh, every single game to help you win ball games. And it's also the baby Astros. It's the it's the round rock Astros that are doing a nice job. Because <laughs> Abraham Toro and you know, Miles Straw, we've seen some of the stuff that he's been to, been able to contribute this year, but Toro and now finally Kyle Tucker is showing a little bit of what we thought we were all excited about with Kyle Tucker uh, maybe a couple of years ago, but we're finally starting to see a little, but we're seeing a hair of it here and there. Huge hit the other night in extra innings. You know, he had the home run in that game. So, you know, it's you're starting to, starting to see it a little bit anyway. You know, and the thing about Springer is that, you know, he gets injured and he comes back and it's just like it's it's like he never left. He's just been lights out. And that's that's just one of the many reasons that he has in the last couple of years, especially, I you know, it just seems ever since game one of the World Series, when everybody was ready to take him out of the lineup because he was slumping or at least move him down from the leadoff spot. It just seems that ever since then, George Springer has found it. He had it last year, and he's got it again this year. And he's got that great mentor. You know, Uncle Mike has helped him a lot, I think, with his consistency this year. Just This is his best year in the majors. Yeah, who, who better to learn from than Uncle Mike? Mr. Consistency, that's what I call him. Have you heard a uh, Have you heard a point spread yet on the Texans and the Jaguars? I have not seen a point spread. You know, I, I need to check on that, uh, but that that's going to be interesting because uh, we got to talk about the Texans in a bit, but... You know, our partners at my bookie go there, see what that point spread is, because that might be something you might want to look at if you like what you saw from the Texans or if you didn't like what you saw from the Texans. Uh, they're going to have Gardner Minshew at quarterback, which should be interesting this week. So, you know, it's one of those deals at my bookie that, you know, they, they like to remind you, hey, you know, if you find a hundred dollars on the street, you, you're not going to keep walking. You're going to take the money. So you so why do you keep picking winners and not betting on them? That's why I go to my bookie. You should too. It's fast. It's easy. And they pay when you win. It's let's face it. When you're betting uh, or where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. I wouldn't be telling you guys to bet with them if they weren't the best. Do the smart thing. If you're going to bet football this season or maybe throw some money at the Texans, bet with my bookie. 
did you know you could bet on games after kickoff? If by the second half it looks like your bet is going to lose, you just take the other side. Pretty easy. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you're going to multiply that winning, and it's just great. And no matter how you bet the NFL season, it's the best time of year to do it. You know that. Join now. My bookie's going to double your first deposit with the promo code Houston. Activate that offer with Houston as the promo code. Visit mybookie.ag today. You pay, you play, you win, you get paid. Well, Stephen, I got some good news and some bad news for the Texans. Which one do you want to know first? Uh, let's uh, let's go ahead and lay the bad news and get it over with. Well, the bad news: uh, the Texans have signed Nick Martin. Yes, that Nick Martin, the center Nick Martin, to a three-year, thirty-three million dollar extension with. $18.35 million guaranteed. And I'm sure, Stephen, they would have had, you know, 50 teams trying to give this guy, like, all the, the whole kit and caboodle. I mean, it's Nick Martin, right? Well, come on, Robert. Quit ragging on the guy. I mean, after all, he's the second best center in the National Football League. I don't know why you keep ragging on the poor guy. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. I misread that. He's now the second highest paid center in the NFL in terms of annual salary. So apparently the Texans think he's at least the second best center in the NFL. Yeah, this one caught me by surprise. I, I mean, what has he done? I, I I started to tweet this and I don't think I did, but I've been trying to think of a reason all day that the Texans should have this kind of an extension for Nick Martin. I'll let you know when I come up with something. You know, I caught Larry Zerline on the radio this morning and he was, you know, uh, a great offensive line coach in the NFL. He coached, uh, Super Bowl team in Pittsburgh and and he knows what he's he knows what he's talking about and he was just saying you know he's saying this he said look with centers if if you think that you know the guy and what he brings by watching you know as blocking don't necessarily go totally by blocking with centers because it's about you know the way they're calling protections and it's if you trust them and that kind of thing. I don't know if his communication skills or any of that stuff is that good because it doesn't. It doesn't seem like it by watching the Texans, but he said it's. You don't necessarily judge the centers uh, in the NFL by just blocking. He said that's pretty much the smaller part of the equation for a lot of coaches out there. Uh, so I mean, I guess that's the that's the only thing I can think of. But Stephen, I, I really think of him as with the Texans, he's sort of the offensive version of Brian Cushing, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I hadn't thought about that, but that might be a good comparison. You know, there's, there's certainly a lot more to it than that. I mean, you're also talking communication with the quarterback. That's one of the reasons that he roomed with Deshaun Watson when Deshaun Watson was a rookie is that Bill O'Brien wanted to get both of those two together, spend as much time as possible together and, They've communicated, and they still do. So a lot of it is the communication with the quarterback. Yeah, the other, the other news, the good news, Aaron Colvin was sent packing by the Texans. Uh, that coverage on the last defensive play of the Saints game was the last straw, it appeared. Um, part of Colvin's initial guaranteed money was over $8 million that he was owed this year. So that's all dead cap money. So I say it's good news, but when you – throwing away $8 million because you just, you go, this guy's just not even good enough just to hang around at the back end of the roster. Or if we're, if we need an emergency guy, Steven, I mean, it, it it's, 
it sucks because they 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 screwed that up. And I'll be honest with you, I, I'm surprised that Aaron Colvin was as bad as he was. Well, I am too, especially since supposedly he came into this season or even during the off season, uh, he supposedly came in with an all new attitude and uh, hopefully had gotten over the injury, but maybe a new attitude, but same play. I mean, he allowed that uh, touchdown pass and uh, eight of nine passes caught that were thrown in his direction in the Saints game. So, yeah, it really wasn't surprising that uh, the Texans didn't wait too long to cut him after the uh, Saints game. Yeah, he was a travesty in that game last year. If you look at his pro football focus grades, it was bad. He was 120th among 131 cornerbacks in his 317 snaps. In coverage, he was ranked 114th uh, in his Run defense, he was 125th, even worse. In his tackling, he was 65th. I mean, there there just wasn't any positives last year. He had the injury. And this year, it's just weird, Stephen, because if if they thought this little of him, that one bad game was going to be the last straw. And, and we, you know, I mean, come on. We like the fact that the Texans are moving on quickly if a guy just isn't getting it done. And, and that's a new new theory by, by the Texans. But, you know, if, if you knew that you were that down on him, that one bad game was going to do it, then I don't know why we went through the whole preseason and, and through all the training camp and everything like that. I mean, it, it didn't seem like there was a necessarily even a plan in place because it wasn't just that, you know, he was bad and they got rid of him. He, he was the starter going into the first, you go from, okay, you're the starter, you have a one bad game and now you're gone. Yeah, it is puzzling, and, and it almost makes you wonder, maybe his attitude went back the other direction that kind of helped contribute to it. And I saw where they signed uh, Philip Gaines, a former Rice player, who's been with the Chiefs, the Bills, and uh, the Browns, who actually reached an injury settlement with him last week. Looks like they signed him to uh, replace Colvin on the roster. At yeah, yeah, his uh, pro football focus grades from last year, he had a career-high 67.3 grade and 408 snaps between the Browns and Bills last season. He continued the strong play in the preseason with an 80.5 grade and 155 snaps, 12th highest among cornerbacks in the preseason for whatever that's worth. That You kind of throw that out the window, but this is somebody that was once thought of as a talented player. He was a third-round pick for the Chiefs. For the Chiefs, that's probably a big deal. For a third-round pick for the Texans, it wouldn't be a big deal. But maybe, <laughs> maybe, yeah. he, maybe, the, maybe the Chiefs know their talent evaluation a little bit better. And he and he's been he's dealt with some injuries over the last few years too. When you look at his at his history, well, let's put it this way: the, the Texans couldn't have gotten much worse with Aaron Colvin. So maybe they have nowhere to go but up with Gaines or whoever else they end up putting back there in his place. You know, I did this uh, on Twitter yesterday, and it and it kind of got a little bit of momentum on Twitter and just thought I would share this with you, Stephen. Uh, I, I put down the impact of the Texans 2019 draft picks uh, after game one. Uh, Titus Howard didn't play, injured. Max Sharping didn't play. Lonnie Johnson uh, didn't play. At least I don't think I saw him out there. Uh, Kahele Waring didn't play, injured. Charles Amenahu didn't play, inactive. Crawford uh, didn't play an active, and Galaspia had one total tackle. Yeah, I guess it, it sounds like there's a lot of wait and sees on these draft picks because either they've been injured or 
they just weren't playing. So, yeah, right now the the jury's still out on just about all of them at, at this point. We might see a lot more Lonnie Johnson. You know that that's possible with Colvin gone, Max Sharping. I think we might see him by the end of this. Somebody else is going to be playing right tackle. I don't know if it's going to be Roderick Johnson or Max Sharping. Chantrell Henderson. I looked at his pro football focused numbers and I didn't need to really see them because I watched him in that Saints game. He was bad. His numbers were bad. Uh, the, the, the other thing that Larry Zerline was saying, uh, Coach Zerline was saying that was real interesting this morning. He said Sharping was a, a real sharp guy because he had a chance to work with him. He also said Chantrell Henderson, it wasn't just the physical stuff, uh, not his words, but Obviously, the physical stuff was a problem, but he was pointing out more Chantrell Henderson uh, making some some mental mistakes and and not picking up some guys. And and basically, his main thing with the Texans was this is in a it's not a physical thing with these guys. It, it's really, you know, and, and we we've talked about this, but he, we he, talked about that on the post game show. We were we were discussing the mental aspect and the coaching with it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we 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 brought that up, Stephen. I mean, it, it's. This is a a mental thing, and at some point, I mean, I just see this over and again, year after year, and again, I mean, it's just this, I just don't get the whole love affair with Mike Devlin. I'm expecting an extension for him right now, because that's an OB guy. It's an OB guy. Isn't that funny, with with all the, as, as fast as the Texans have been making changes with some things, there are some things that still remain the same, and Mike Devlin is one of them. The thing about Chantrell Henderson is, it, it's interesting because he was considered by many to probably be, if he came back from that injury, the most consistent offensive lineman that the Texans would have. But it certainly hasn't been borne out yet, at least through this first game with the Saints. One thing that I saw just a few hours ago, Titus Howard's practicing. Do you think he's going to be the left guard this week? If not this week, I certainly think it will be soon. I think we're definitely going to see Titus Howard uh, the bulk of the season, provided that he can stay healthy. So, yeah, we'll, we'll have to wait till later in the week when they come out with the injury report for the game. But, yeah, I, I think you're going to see Sharp. Uh, I'm sorry, Titus Howard, very soon. Yeah, I'm I'm real interested to see some of these guys because I I feel like they're going to be playing soon. We're going to see Titus Howard soon. We could see Sharping, like I said, we could see Lenny Johnson a lot more. Wearing, I, I was high on that draft pick. A lot of people, I think, loved his physical tools. You know, if he gets back this year, I mean, it was, you know, it's 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 concussion stuff that's kept him uh, out and on the injured list. You know, if he comes back, say, in week, I think you're available maybe in week seven or something like seven, that. Seven, I believe. Yeah, he's on injured reserve right now. But uh, the Texans, the good thing is the Texans, if as long as they can stay healthy at tight end, they can afford to wait as much as they need to on wearing. If if the tight ends can play up to what they're supposed to, then at least they, they can wait a little bit on him if they have to. Yeah, Jordan Thomas, he, he's going to be back for sure, I think, in a, in a few games. So I, yeah. I, I don't yeah. know what they do if both he and, and wearing are, are, are both coming back. If they Well, they're going to get rid of uh, Jarrell. And I just think that those two guys, they might go with four tight ends, but I don't know. I don't know if they'd be interested in doing that. Well, they might try to hang on to Jarrell Adams, at least put him on the practice squad. Of course, somebody could snap him up then, but I know they're high on Jarrell Adams, but I, I think he's right now he's just caught in a numbers game because of the other tight ends ahead of him that have been doing so well. 
There was a football game this weekend that we haven't talked about yet, Stephen, uh, the Longhorns and LSU. And I tell you what, I might need to take a break here. I, I'm, I'm cramping up. I might need a timeout. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Now, don't be faking it, Robert. You know, there's some of these there's some of these people that thought that uh, one of the LSU players was faking it. it. One of them? One of them? Well, there were several of them. <laughs> but I think I saw a report that there was one name mentioned. I can't think of which one it is that he was definitely faking. And you could hear the fans just booing every time it happened. And there was some air conditioning issues, supposedly, uh, in the locker room. Did you hear that story, too? Yeah, that's right. The air conditioning, the uh, visiting locker room, that apparently the air conditioning system wasn't working. And then you go out on the field, and it's 97 degrees at kickoff time. So, you know, maybe there is something to those cramps. But <laughs> maybe uh, maybe there is something that the Longhorns kind of uh, helped that along a little bit in the visitor's locker room. I don't know, but... I will say about the game, while the Longhorns lost, they at least proved they could hang in with LSU despite their weaknesses. Now, if you think the Texans' defense has some problems, Robert, Texas still has some work to do themselves, especially in the secondary. Joe Burrow, LSU's quarterback, torched them for 471 yards, and that's through the air. You know, they're still trying to find answers at running back, too. Uh, that drop by Keandre Ingram in the first quarter on fourth goal, fourth and goal was a real game changer. I mean, that, that really could have changed the face of the game if he'd held on to that ball. And he only had 29 yards on 10 carries. So they, they've had a lot of injuries at the running position. But all in all, Texas did prove, like the Texans, that they could hang with LSU. So I think that while they may not be ready for the CF, CFP playoffs just yet, I don't think they still have a little ways to go. But I think they're getting there, and I think Tom Herman will get them there sooner rather than later. They have a minister of culture. It seems like they just need a minister of defense right now. Well, they certainly do. Maybe uh, they could borrow Charles O'Minihue back from the Texans if they're not going to play him much, because in two games that the Longhorns have played this year, they have zero sacks and zero quarterback hits. So the, the loss of O'Minihue definitely has hurt them at least for the first couple of games. Zero sacks, zero quarterback hits. That's J.J. Watt type stuff. What, what's going on? That's that's exactly right. Yeah, I did. I was amazed when I saw that stat. I mean, I knew I hadn't heard J.J.'s name called, but I thought, no, surely he got in on something, you know, that I maybe I just missed. But no, he had absolutely zero tackles. Zero, that's the first time in his career that that's happened. You surprised by the Longhorns' lack of defense? Because Todd Orlando did an incredible job at U of H. Not really. I mean, they have a lot of – they have some young players that I think are still trying to find their way. But, yeah, hopefully they're going to figure it out. Now, Joe Burrow is, I think, an elite quarterback. I think we found that out. Jalen Hurts, you know, he's still kind of trying to prove himself here. But I, I think they're going to have their hands full with him, certainly. But as far as the rest of the conference, I don't know that you're going to see – what we saw with LSU and Joe Burrow, but the, the defense definitely still has some work to do. Anything else on the college side? I mean, U of H crushed Prairie View. We kind of expected Rice still doesn't have a win. Uh, just that's a little bit of what's going on. Yeah, Texas is, should definitely rebound against Rice uh, this coming weekend. The game will be at NRG Stadium. As far as the Cougars, you know, they, they had a great first half. It almost seemed like they, I, I didn't watch much of the game, but it seemed like in the second half, they, they kind of let themselves down a little bit, allowed Prairie View to get some traction. I mean, they still won, what, 37 to 17. But, uh, you know, there's certainly been some interesting games in college the last couple of weeks. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it just, you know, I can't get into what's going on with U of H until they start playing some real teams, the teams that I guess are supposed to be around their level. But, you know, what I've seen so far, I, I wasn't super happy with what I saw with, with the OU game and Prairie View. You, you expect that to be a little bit more of a blowout than it, than it was. But, I mean, I get also tired of teams just kind of just running up scores and stuff like that and mismatches. That gets old, too. But... Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, last thing I wanted to hit on, Stephen, and, and if there's anything else that you could think of after that, but the, the last thing I just want to talk about was the U.S. Open because there was a couple of really interesting matches over the weekend for the finals, and Medev versus Nadal, I watched some of that. It was just extraordinary tennis, and you know, with, you're used to seeing Federer and Djokovic and, and those guys. You're not used to seeing somebody like Medvedev giving – Nadal all that he wants and in in an incredible five-set match and it was just back and forth and Nadal gets his fourth U.S. Open title which put him in elite territory among U.S. Open champions and among you know the tennis uh, greats you know he's right there with with all of them of course and what was also unusual Stephen is Nadal you, you saw him get choked up a little bit Nadal's not one of these guys that you see the emotion from it's not surprising he's a Spaniard, so I expect a little bit, but it's not really, you know, him and Federer, they're so close to the vest and they're so straight-laced guys. And to see him get em- getting emotional, because they were showing after the match was over with, they showed clips of all of his 19 major championships and he's looking at it on the big board and that that was really cool. Yeah, I have to say that's one of the reasons it's so hard for me to, to follow men's tennis, I, I just feel like there, there's nothing that really jumps out at me as as far as being demonstrative or, you know, making things exciting as much as it is on the women's side, you know, lover or hater, Serena Williams, you just, you never know when she might blow up or, <laughs> I mean, she didn't this weekend, but yeah, I, I just, I, if I'm going to follow tennis, I'm probably going to linger over more toward the women's side than the men. And that's a lot of the reason there, there just isn't that, excitement that you know unpredictability factor of oh what is somebody going to throw a chair is somebody going to yell at the umpire curse them out with the john McEnroe and jimmy connor's days it's it's just totally changed the face of men's tennis and that's not necessarily a bad thing what was interesting when i was watching this weekend and i'm going to get to the serena story right now is that uh this that new york crowd wasn't about the underdog and the upset they used to be that they used to love the underdog. They used to love the upset and they weren't about that. They were about Nadal and Serena in those two finals. Uh, and, and Serena, you know, she, she got denied the major championship all time record for the fourth straight final. She got to a finals for the fourth time. Couldn't get the all time record, but what a story on the other side of the net for the first time, a Canadian wins a major tennis title but it's way more than that. This Bianca Andreescu was ranked in the 150s to start the tennis year. She's the first male or female to win a U.S. Open in her first appearance in the tourney. In her first appearance. She's the first male or female born in the 21st century to win a major. Yeah, she was born uh, post-2000 or 2000 or post. And she wasn't even born when Serena won her first major uh, just a fantastic story. And Steven, that's the thing I just don't get is usually the New York crowd. I mean, 
they loved Jimmy Connors when he was 39 years old. And I mean, how could you not? But they loved that, you know, underdog story. And they were 100% behind Jimmy Connors. And they're usually behind that sort of real underdog deal. And then it's, you know, the crowd's going crazy for Serena and Nadal. Really? That's what you're after. Medvedev is, is he's, <laughs> he, he's never won anything. And here's Medvedev in the final. Yeah, I don't know if it's that it takes years for the New York crowd to to respect the great tennis players. And then once they do, they fall head over heels in love with them. I don't know. It, it was interesting. But, you know, there, there's usually a big rivalry thing with the U.S. and Canada, whether it's in hockey or uh, the Olympics or, or whatever. But you had to be happy for the Canadian to win in this case. I, I, I have to admit I was rooting for her and not Serena myself. <laughs> so I guess I'm one of those that did root for the underdog in this case. Oh, yeah. I, I was all behind. I mean, I, I, I've i seen Serena win a ton of times. I, I wanted to see somebody new win. It, it's a really cool story. And like like a Canadian would do, she almost was apologizing for winning and hurting the crowd's feelings or whatever after the... Yeah, Canadians just... are usually accused of being really nice people. I guess she... Uh... I guess she definitely accented that reputation by by apologizing. I don't know. Can you ever think of another instance, Robert, where that's happened in major athletics? I can't. Yeah, it's uh, it's really sweet. She was really sweet. There was another great moment a week before we we didn't talk. I forgot about that. We didn't talk about it from last week's show, but the weekend before, uh, you had uh, Coco Golf with the breakdown at the end of of her match and was really upset in tears and she's this 15 year old this you know next Serena or whatever the way she's played this year looking like a young phenom and she's just in tears when it's over with and it was so cool to see Osaka come over and condole can give her uh, condolences and hug her and there was like real warmth there and and that girl she is such class and the way she handled it in the interview uh, afterwards where they talked to her about the whole thing and asked her about Coco golf. And it was, it was class. It was all class. Well, if there's one thing that tennis is, I'd say it, it is an emotional sport. I mean, you're, it, it's a, a strenuous, grueling sport and you're out there for, you know, at least a couple of hours. And if it goes longer, you, you're talking several hours. It, it you, there's a lot of emotions running through. And, and I think that's why we, we sometimes, Maybe jump the gun on some of these young players. They're still kids. They're they're still not completely grown up. And we make them to be the next Serena or the next this or the next that. And we still have to remember that they hadn't even gotten out of high school age yet. So, but you have to, to cheer for somebody like Coco Goff. I mean, I, I caught myself doing it too. Uh, but we have to remember where they are. Yeah, what's also interesting is the worm has turned. You know, this used to be a sport about the teens and the 20-somethings, and now the champions don't go away. Serena doesn't go anywhere, and Federer doesn't go anywhere, and Nadal doesn't go anywhere. Those guys are just always around. Uh, tournament yeah, you mentioned tournament. Connors and Agassi. He, he made a nice comeback at a later age, too. So, uh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, well, Connors, you know, he, he had moments, but he was never, you know, near the top the way these other guys have been. Uh, the, the Natals and Federer's and Serena's just still still winning championships, still in finals nearly every single time. Um, it's really something. Hey, before we go, I, I got to ask you this. Uh, Texans, NRG Stadium, Sunday, we're going to have the postgame show 
on Sunday. So you can look for that. But who do you think is going to win this one? Well, I think the Texans will win. Now, we, we always have to be careful when you have a rookie quarterback in there because you just never know. I mean, he's, he's making his first actual start. He looked really good, as you mentioned, uh, in the first game when he came off the bench to relieve uh, Nick Foles. But I just think that this is where the Texans, this is a test for them in the sense that they suffered that heartbreaking loss. This is where they need to bounce back. They're going to be at home. I do think they'll beat the Jaguars. I don't know that they're going to blow them out necessarily, but it wouldn't surprise me if they came out really firing on all cylinders like they did in the first half of the Saints game. So I'm, I'm going to pick the Texans to beat the Jaguars this weekend. Well, with my bookie being uh, our guys, I check on my bookie, and the <laughs> Texans are favored by nine, Stephen. Are you surprised wow. by that? Yeah, a little bit. I thought maybe they'd be six, six and a half, seven-point favorites. But yeah, nine, that's that's pretty big. Yeah, I, I don't know if I've got enough guts to pick the Texans by nine over the Jaguars. Well, just remember, Robert, in the second half, you know, you can always switch sides with my bookie. So there you go. You got it. And uh, if you forget that promo code, man, you can double what you're what you got there. Just uh, go to the show description. It's Houston. You can't forget. It's pretty easy. Mybookie.ag. And if you enjoy some of our nearly if you've enjoyed some of our nearly a hundred a thousand podcasts over the last six years, we've put out the weekly podcast. You'd. You can support us by going to our website, HoustonSportsTalk.net. Make a small donation. There's a donate button on the top right of the homepage or towards the bottom of the page if you're on your smartphone. But again, check us out on Sunday for the Texans postgame against the Jaguars. We're looking forward to that. Hopefully we got some good Astros news this weekend with some more wins and a Yuli sighting, perhaps. Maybe Correa starts on his climb back to playing some baseball again uh, there's not a whole lot of time there's just a couple of weeks to go in the season so he's gonna have to get it going pretty quickly thanks again for joining us thanks to my host steven and we'll talk to you again soon you're listening to houston sports talk don't forget to follow houston sports talk on facebook and twitter subscribe to us on itunes spotify the google podcast app or the stitcher app you can support us by giving us a five-star review on itunes or by telling your friends about us Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.